Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's Monday, so you guys know the drill. Reverse chronological lightning round day here on the pod. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everyone. I'm your host, Dan Vespers, and we will dive right on in with a full weekend recap starting on Sunday and working our way backwards such that we hit each of the 30 NBA team's most recent ball game and kind of get everybody's brains reset for the week ahead. I have promo things to tell you about. I have sports ethos things to tell you about. But first, Sunday, Dallas in LA taking on the Clippers in the first half of a two-game set where Dallas is hanging out in LA for both. And this was actually a pretty good ball game. Clippers ended up covering with a... Uh, holding off the Mavericks, I should say. Mavs were down. The Clippers were up about 10 for pretty much the bulk of this ballgame, or at least the, everything but the very beginning. Mavs made a good push, wasn't quite enough. Clippers got uh, solid ball games from Paul George. Uh, Reggie Jackson, he's been... You know, I, I keep looking at Reggie and thinking, this guy is like one really big game away from clearing that hurdle. And then every time I think we're about to get there, he comes out and he goes like two for 17 with three rebounds and two assists or something just horrific on the field goal percent side. And therein lies the rub with him. He's taken 17 shots a game, which, I mean, in this modern NBA, if you're up around that usage level, it's very hard not to post value. There's just a couple of guys that are outside the bucket. Brandon Ingram is a super high usage guy who's outside value. When I say outside, I mean not even really startable in a 10-teamer right now. Or barely, barely. Darren Fox is in that bucket. Russell Westbrook is in that bucket. And Reggie Jackson right now is also in that bucket. Reggie is a very good free-throw shooter. Unfortunately, doesn't get there very often. With Fox, he's been terrible in both percentages. Westbrook is always terrible in both percentages, so... That one, you kind of knew getting into it. And then Brandon Ingram, who's been much worse in the field goal percent side, and also after uh, a year, year and change, if you want to call it, where the defensive stats had actually trended up for BI, they have completely abandoned him so far this year. Now, on the Ingram front, I think he's probably in the buy low category because as bad as he's been defensively, I don't think .2 steals is necessarily going to stick. And honestly, I don't even know that the people that have Ingram on their team are aware of how brutally bad he's been on the defensive side of the basketball. He's never been a big steals guy. He made that giant leap when he got traded from L.A. to New Orleans where he went from pretty consistently in the like 1.1 range of defensive stats up to 1.6 with a full steal per ball game. That trended back down to 0.7 last year. But he's never been below a half a steal over an entire year anywhere he's been in his career, and he's never been under half a block anywhere he's been in his entire career. So I find it very hard to believe that, although he's not a good steals and blocks guy, that they are going to trend to, this is like Gallo level low, who obviously floats his own value with free throws, but not so much this year. Everything else for Ingram seems generally fine. The shooting could be better and perhaps it will be when he gets, when if, if Zion ever comes back. I don't know. Maybe it won't. Free throws are still fine. They've come down a little bit off of the career high, 88% last year. But then, you know, we look at it from the other perspective. If the guy with Brandon Ingram or Gal in your league doesn't know he's been this bad defensively, you might not be able to buy low anyway. With Reggie Jackson, I don't know that it's going to matter. I don't think, I mean, field goal percent probably gets up into 41-42 range, which isn't that far away anymore. Um, the steals at .6, would love to see those trend a tiny bit higher, but they probably won't. I think that's kind of who he is. And then, you know, if the field goal percent does improve, 17.5 points probably trends up towards 18, 18.5 or 19, potentially. But is that enough? Is improving on the field goal percent and improving on scoring enough to get him out of that streamer territory where he's kind of in right now and has been throughout the year while we've been very patiently waiting on him to make that little jump forward. He's one click away from permanent starter status. 
And I've been pretty much running him out there every game thinking, here comes the heater. And then, you know, two good games later, he's up to like 106 in the ranks, and then one awful game drops him back 25 spots. And we do it all over again. I think you just stick with it. I mean, his role is giant and secure on this team. We knew this was going to be that thing holding him back. He's never been good defensively. The hope was that he might be able to get more than four assists. Maybe four and a half would also get the job done. Five would be a stretch. Anyway, on the Eric Bledsoe front, he seems to have solidified himself now as a hot and cold kind of guy. So stream as you see fit, but he does not need to have a permanent roster spot. And then Nick Batum got placed in COVID protocols before yesterday's ballgame, which, you know, it's not good news, but it does allow him to rest his Achilles and it allows you to throw him into an injured slot. So that makes it a lot easier, I think, to, to hold on to him. That's my take on Batum. I know everybody's like punting to the curb and running for the hills as fast as they can, but if he comes back and his Achilles is good and he can breathe all right after COVID, dude was cruising inside the top 50 for about three weeks of healthy basketball. I don't know how you drop a guy like that. Seems, seems asinine, but anyway... Onward and upward, onward and upward, we continue rumbling along. On the Dallas side, I think everything's fairly straightforward. Without Luka, Jalen Brunson is huge. He's been good even with Luka, but he's been sort of right on the cusp with him. And then without him, he'll, he goes nuts like this. Kristaps Porzingis has been incredible lately. He's pushed himself up to number 12 in nine-category leagues on a per-game basis. Yes, I know he missed a handful of games already, and he probably will miss a handful more. But for someone that... We were advocating being drafted around 45 to 50. The fact that he's posting first round per game value and the blocks could even potentially go higher. I am extremely excited about this. And in a Roto Games Cap format, he looks like a really sweet get at the end of the fourth round, beginning of the fifth round. You know who jumped in front of him? He was at 11 briefly yesterday. DeMar DeRozan, and we'll talk about him a little bit later on as we push our way through this Sunday card. One more thought on the Clippers' side. They have a lot going on with this team, so we're kind of starting with one of the more interesting clubs. Serge Ibaka came back, played 13 minutes after a little time in the G League, missed some free throws, missed some shots. I do think he ultimately tears into the minutes of Ivica Zubac a little bit, and a little bit might unfortunately be enough because Zu, playing 28 minutes a game, was around a top 70 type of center and very much a guy that needed to be in lineups. If that trends back down towards 22 or 23, and I don't know, maybe he hangs out above that mark, but 22-23, that puts him more, I think, in a streamer zone, depending on if there's any kind of other auxiliary leap forward happening here, but I don't, I don't necessarily see that happening. On the Zubots front, just keep running it until it falls apart. Because we don't know Surge is going to take those minutes. And, and, and really, we don't know Surge isn't even going to be healthy for more than a week and a half. All right? So don't, let's not get the cart ahead of the horse. Lakers and Pistons. This was a wild ball game. LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart got tangled up on a rebound. LeBron kind of swung his arm in the direction of Stewart's face and caught him with the back of his fist right in the side of the eye. It was a... It was an ugly hit. LeBron ended up getting ejected for a flagrant two on a review. And you could kind of see the, the tussling. It was one of those things where it, it really looked like LeBron thought that because his arm was tangled up with an arm as he swung sideways, which you can't do anyway, that he probably thought he was more like shoulder height. But Stewart's not that tall. Isaiah Stewart is playing center, but I think he's probably like 6'8". If you weren't looking at a roster, and I don't know what they have him as officially listed, but he's not that tall of a dude. So, bam, right in the face. Stewart got mad, kind of walked up on LeBron, and then everything got crazy. And Stewart, for like the next seven or eight minutes, was basically just trying to wriggle free from his own coaching staff to bum rush the entire Lakers and get back after LeBron. I mean, it was it was quite a scene. And I know LeBron swinging at him to get out of the, the sort of free-throw rebound tanglement started the whole mess, but it, it, you know, it, 
it it wasn't like he turned and leveled him. I had people that were tweeting at me like, oh, he literally punched him in the face. Like, no, that that's not a literal punch. A punch would have been if LeBron was like, hey, you, and then he looked at him and socked him in the mouth. It was more, it was like, oh, this dude's annoying me. I'm going to flail my hand, my closed-fisted hand in his direction, and pow, right in the kisser, which, again, you can't do, but that was not a punch. It wasn't. I mean, LeBron probably would have broken a knuckle if he tried to punch Isaiah Stewart in the face in a, in a traditional sense. So you can't do what either of them did, but what you certainly can't do is spend 10 minutes trying to start an all-out brawl on the court, whatever your feelings may be in that moment. I saw a lot of uh, beat writers talking about how nothing that Stewart did was out of line. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Oh, he got hit in the face. Okay. Dude, my kids hit me in the face. I realize my kids are not LeBron James. That's a terrible comparison. But, like, you need to be able to turn the switch off at some point. You cannot be trying to sprint into the tunnel, loop all the way around to the other side, and then come back out and another opportunity to try to start a fight with the face of the NBA. That is not going to go well for you, kid. So a series of bad decisions stemming from a LeBron flailing whack to the face. And look, like, I am at my core a Laker fan, but I have not, and you you guys have heard me on this podcast, I have not been a LeBron James fan throughout his entire career. I think I've, I've actually appreciated him more later in his career when he's been less of a look-at-me kind of player. The story that always bugged me, I was in college at the time because uh, LeBron James came out of high school when I was in college. And I still remember, it was like maybe three or four years into his career. So maybe I was done with college. I don't remember. I was still near that that point in my life. And um, I think it was the All-Star game or All-Star festivities, the dunk contest. And they went to LeBron courtside to ask what his thoughts were on the, the mega dunks that were happening. And he said something like, maybe I'll do this next year, which I thought was just the most egregious hey, like, look at me instead of the kids dunking moment. And I just, I couldn't stand him. Even more than the, the, the decision, which was just clearly marketing gone wrong. But starting about the moment that Draymond Green kicked him in the nads and he turned into don't give a you-know-what LeBron, I liked him a whole lot more. But suffice to say, I watched a bunch of replays of that yesterday with a fairly unbiased eye. And I have Isaiah Stewart on a fantasy team, and I don't have LeBron on a fantasy team. So uh, yet another reason that I was really hoping that this was going to look better for Stewart than it did. But, like, the more that you watch, the overhead view is the one that looks like LeBron was, like, trying to whack him in the face. But you can't actually see the height of whatever's going on from the overhead view. I really, the more you look at it, the more it looked like LeBron was not pleased about having his arm held. Which, by the way, was the foul being called on Stewart. The original whistle was a personal foul on Stewart for grabbing LeBron's arm. I think he was upset. He thought maybe he was going to pull that joint out of its socket, and so he kind of swung the back of it at him. But, again, you cannot go from a cut over the eye. Like, he wasn't that badly beaten. He got slashed. These guys get hurt worse than that when they fall on the way to a dunk. And again, I'm not trying to minimize at all what LeBron did. He got ejected. He should have. He's probably going to get suspended for one game would be my guess. If that. He probably, you know what? Like LeBron probably would have gotten suspended for one game. And now I wonder if they can't, they might even dial it down because of how absurd (laughs) the Stewart. This was a long time. They were really hilarious. I mean, they're funny because nobody got hurt in the end here. But like hilarious videos of four or five Pistons holding him. Stewart pretending to calm down. You could read his lips. He said, I'm good, guys. I'm good. I'm good. And as soon as they relaxed their grip, he raced out of their arms and, like, knocked over a bunch of security guards and other Piston staffers and just bought barely. Like, he hurt his smaller coaching staff members more than he got hurt on the original. Anyway, Stewart's probably going to miss a few ball games. I can't imagine he'll be back in time for the rematch, which, frankly, is probably okay. You're still hanging on to him. He was actually playing relatively well in this game. The stats don't show it, but he was doing a lot of fighting on the glass and tipping rebounds to his teammates who, like, their rebound numbers looked great. Stewart's didn't. 
He had a nice block in this ballgame. The numbers did not reflect the impact he was having on the game. So you're holding on to Stewart. There's still no Kelly Olynyk for probably another month. And there's just no one really challenging him for minutes because Trey, well, Trey Lyles isn't very good. From a fantasy perspective, uh, I like that Carmelo got warmed back up in this ballgame. I'd love it if he took more than eight shots, but he's taking only the ones where he's open, which is kind of nice. Got some stripped down blocks as well. So that pushed him back up the board a little bit. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker has come crashing back to earth since LeBron James re-entered the lineup. And if Kendrick Nunn ever gets fully healthy, THT probably doesn't come close to fantasy value at that point. So if you can catch him, like if LeBron gets suspended for a game and THT goes big, you got to move him. Take whatever you can back. Anything inside the top 95 you take back in a category league. Piston side, Frank Jackson's actually been really good lately. He had some nice blocks in this game. They weren't fluky. They were nice athletic ones. Corey Joseph, 5-4-7, filling in for Killian Hayes if Hayes misses another ball game, which I think he probably will miss one more. Um, I see no problem with picking up Joseph for a quick stream. He generally does more offensively than he did in this ballgame, but Jeremy Grant got so damn hot that they just let him roll. And no, you're not picking up Hamadou Diallo because he does this, and then he comes back with a 1-for-7 shooting game and a 2-for-6 free throw game, and it all goes right down the crapper. Rest of the games on Sunday, I think we can move a little bit quicker through. Knicks lost in Chicago. Not a, a ton of news there. Alex Caruso hurt his wrist for the Bulls. If he misses time, I don't think anybody moves across the cut line unless Derek Jones Jr. magically gets 30 minutes, but I don't think that's happening. On the Knicks side... I, I guess my only thought would be, what do we do with Kemba Walker? Because Evan Fournier, we dropped about 10 days ago on this podcast. And Kemba, I've been sitting here, and you've heard me hemming and hawing over him. Every show, should we, shouldn't we? I think you hold. I do believe some of the lower minutes in this game was because it was the second half of a back-to-back, and dude hasn't played in a back-to-back in two and a half years. Eh, thereabouts. And he actually looked really good to start the second half. Or whatever that's worth. That was this weird little stretch where the Knicks went on a run. They actually took the lead. I don't think they wanted to use Kemba again later in the ball game. And frankly, you know, while I'd love to see Derrick Rose play 30 minutes and he would be fantasy relevant in 30 minutes, I don't think the plan was ever or will ever be to give him 30 minutes. He's at 23 on the season and he's right on the border. So if you see Rose uptick, he's a go. And, I mean, you could you could throw him on your roster if he's not already grabbed somewhere. Um, he's played in the back-to-backs so far this year for the Knicks. Uh, I believe all of them. And he's been awfully dang close to uh, per-game value. So because he's played in the back-to-backs, his totals value is actually pretty good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with him. Being on a roster, um, on the chance that his role gets bigger. If they decide that Kemba's not the answer, and maybe they do. I don't know if those guys will ever flip-flop. That might actually end up being good for both of them. I don't know. Get D. Rose into the starting lineup to get his minutes up a little higher. Get Kemba into the reserves to get his usage up a little higher. In any event, they probably both belong at the end of a roster if you can afford to just kind of squat on them. Neither one's been so awful that they're killing you in head-to-head. They're not startable in Roto right now because it's so back and forth, and, you know, Rose is closer. And then Alec Burks has been better than Evan Fournier. So does that situation flip on its head? And will Burks have the fantasy game to support being picked up and thrown into the mix? I'm going to tentatively say no for the moment. But it's been close-ish which is, I know, the like the, the vaguest possible term that we could possibly throw there. Uh, over the last two weeks, Burks has been inside the top 75, mostly because he's hitting a ton of three balls, and that's not really been his jam throughout his entire career. Uh, the problem with this Knicks team is, like, you can't have all of them. You can't have Kemba and Burks and Rose and Fournier and just, like, have them all sitting on your bench because at the moment... It's a crapshoot. You roll the dice. Which one's going to come up? Lately, it's been Rose and Burks. And a week before that, it was Kemba and Burks. And a week before that, it was Kemba and Bournier. And 
Anyway, you guys catch my meaning there. The honest to goodness truth is, I don't know who's going to emerge from this as king of the Knicks guard wing thing. Uh, Nerland's Noel, by the way, he's a full go, while Mitchell Robinson is concussed and Taj Gibson is dealing with his sore groinals. Um, but from a guard wing standpoint, you know, R.J. Barrett is always going to be more of a points league guy. I, everybody's like, oh, he's taking steps. and No, he's not taking steps. He's still number 213 in in nine cat he's been the worst of all of them even worse than Kemba so points leagues only there pretty good in points leagues actually but points leagues only on the nine cat side I think Derek Rose is probably your your safest bet Alec Burks is probably your second safest bet right now though I put I think I could put he and Kemba in kind of the same secondary bucket and then Evan Fournier is a guy that's just completely lost his way so he can hit the pine Feel free to play musical chairs with those guys. I don't know that any of them is going to dra- dramatically change what your fantasy team is doing. Kemba has the upside, but he's not playing enough or doing enough. And I do think you got to hold on just a little bit longer there to find out if some of the minutes stuff lately was because of the back-to-back. Phoenix blew out Denver with no Nikola Jokic. No real changes here. I'm not picking up Jermichael Green. I think Jokic is back soon. The big news out of Denver, of course was that late last night at about 9 o'clock Pacific time, the report came out that Michael Porter Jr. may have a nerve issue re-emerging in his back, and his season is in jeopardy. And this, of course, was the great fear when we found out he was dealing with back stuff. And maybe that's why he looked so dejected, in addition to just not playing well, is because he knew something going on was in that same oh no, here we go again, back situation. And this sucks, you know, because he came into the league with back trouble, seemed to work his way through it, had been really uh, predictably healthy for basically the two seasons that they were trotting him out there. We hadn't heard anything about it flaring up, but clearly something he started this season with. And I, I just get the feeling this offseason was so awful for NBA players. There was this massive letdown after the weirdest sinusoidal wave of a schedule we could have ever imagined. It was games, it was off, it was games, it was off, it was games, it was off. And now it's finally like, oh, normalcy, but the offseason wasn't all the way there. Whatever it is, you got to sit on him for now because maybe good news comes at some point, but there's probably about a 30-40% chance we find out that he will indeed sit for the year. And if he's if you're wearing zeros from MPJ right now, yeah, I mean that's 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 a tough one. I feel fortunate I only have him on one out of my thirteen teams. Some of that is just because I ended up with a late draft pick in a lot of drafts this year. But even in the couple of leagues where I ended up with an early draft pick, there were other guys still on the board at twenty three, twenty four that I wanted more than MPJ. I'm trying to find the teams and they're they're certainly more so on the roto side cuz I don't think I was hunting him as much in uh my head-to-head leagues, but I'm trying to figure out where I had an earlier draft pick. Where are you team with an earlier draft pick? There's one where I ended up with Harden in the first round and um Freddie Van Vliet was still out there at I think 22. So I went his direction, and there was one where I had first overall pick. I ended up with Jokic, and that was the one where uh, MPJ was there at uh, 24, and the other guys I wanted were gone. I took Chris Paul behind him, so <laughs> first and third rounds worked out pretty well, but yeah, not so great on the uh, the, uh, the the MPJ front right now. And then in, my, in my, all my other Roto Leagues, I had a pick towards the end of the first round, so I ended up with a lot of Jimmy Butlers and Paul Georges and Bradley Beals, and of those guys, Beals the only one who's not crushing and i do think he's a guy that's generally on the move on the uh, upward board but there is the fear now what does this season become for the denver nuggets if they really do find out at some point here in the next little bit that mpj is is not going to be hanging around what do they do they're nine and eight they've lost four games in a row they're certainly a lot better when Jokic is in there he's missed the last couple and they've lost them i do think there's a fortunate thing happening in the West, where basically there are three teams right now that are a cut above. 
The Warriors, the Suns, and the Jazz, to me, are a cut above. Sorry, Clippers. I know you're 10-7, and seven, but you're not a cut above. Clippers, Mavs, Nuggets, Blazers, Lakers, Grizzlies, Wolves. Those teams are all, maybe not the Wolves as much, and maybe even not the Grizzlies as much. But if you want to add them into the mix, you've got seven teams fighting for the four through ten spots. But unless, you know, the Thunder want to tank, the Spurs are sort of, tanking by accident because they went so young. The Kings are definitely tanking by accident. That's the team you worry about with Luke Walton getting fired, and don't worry, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Is that a team that now pushes its way up the board a little bit? Possibly. But the bottom four teams in the West are, you know, the Rockets, they may never win a ball game. Uh, the Pelicans, who I'm, hope, I'm sure are hoping to, to look a little better as the year goes on, but I don't think they're making a push for anything. And the Spurs are down near the bottom. And the Thunder are 6-10, and 10, but they don't really want to win all that bad. So they'll fade at some point as they force the fade. Right now, top 10 teams in the West, they all go to the playoffs. Yeah, four of them are going to be battling for those last two spots in a tournament. But if you're the Nuggets, and if you're worried about the Nuggets potentially going into a thrown season tank, like they can sleepwalk into at least the play-in tournament as long as they have Jokic on the floor. He'll do that for them offensively. And then defensively, the subs are just fine. Like These other guys can come in and they can play pretty good defense. They're not going to beat the Phoenix on a night where they don't have Jokic or MPJ or Jamal Murray. Like You're down your top three guys. You're going to lose to a good team. But anyway, uh, stay strong. If there's anyone in your league that's worried about Jokic... And a shutdown, I think you should go get him. Because I don't think it's coming. Phoenix side, you can throw this game out. They only had to play two and a half quarters to win, so stats are generally kind of useless here. Dump them out the window. Hate those blowouts that end so early that nobody quite gets to where they need to be, but oh well. Uh, Warriors and Raptors, this one opened up late. Raptors pretty much hung in there. They were like down about 9, 10 points most of the ball game. Warriors opened it up late in the fourth quarter. So you can see it just by the minutes totals. Pascal Siakam played 34. Freddie Van Vliet played 39. Raptors pretty much had their guys playing starters minutes. A um, couple quick notes, mostly on the Raptors side here, before we pause uh, just a minute and actually kind of introduce you guys to the podcast because we jumped right over that part. And we're going too slow, frankly. I got to speed up the pace. Um, Ken Birch got the start, but I think Precious Achua is probably about to overtake him. Problem is, the reason I talked about Precious so much on Friday's show is that it sounded like OG Ananobi was going to be out. They said a while, which I thought meant three weeks, four weeks, more, with a hip pointer. And now they're saying he might be back later this week. So I wouldn't worry too much about the Raptors' center situation. What I would worry about is that you're starting to see some of the little rookie stuff creep up with Scotty Barnes, who continues to be very good. Make no mistake. This is not me saying that from a just a strict drafting standpoint, the Raptors got a gem there, but the free throw numbers have come down, percentages, the shooting percentage has come down. Suddenly now, yeah, he's still at 15 points, eight and a half rebounds, but 48% from the field instead of 51, 72 at the foul line instead of 78 or 79. He's fallen outside the top 100, but I think you could probably still move him for someone in the 90, 80 to 90 range because there was so much name power behind him when he got off to that quick start. Otherwise, things are pretty much the same out there. Chris Boucher had 10 and 5 in 13 minutes. That's fine. It's not good enough to get him back on my radar, especially now, again, if OG's coming back soon. On the Warriors side, Andrew Wiggins has woken up in a big, big way. He's pushed himself inside of the top 100. Uh... Thankfully, at long last, and hopefully there he will remain as we've started to see the defensive stats creep up a little bit. No steals, but he did have a block in this ballgame. The field goal percent has been on the rise for him. He's shooting free throws pretty well this year. I don't know if the field goal and free throw numbers are going to stick. My guess is probably not. But if the steals and blocks come up a tiny bit, he could push his way into that 75 range if the other stuff just holds the way it is. So that's uh, that's a good sign for Wiggins. Jordan Poole had 33 on only 13 shots. That's insane. He's very much a sell high anytime he does stuff like this. Or you could just ride it out and get another month out of him before Clay comes back and, and Poole at that point likely loses his starting job. 
it's going to be a tougher road to hoe for Jordan after that. Draymond, he's also pushed his way inside the top 100 very steadily. Not with the big games that Wiggins done here the last two or three. Draymond's just kind of been Draymond the last little bit after that weird free throw blip to start the season. He's been more of like a top 55 kind of guy last three weeks or so. And uh, I think he goes higher, honestly, than that because the steals and blocks haven't even been there yet for Dre. They've been okay, but they haven't been as high as they could go. I do like that his field goal percent's been better this year. He's not taking three-pointers anymore. The backpack three-pointer is still one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And Steph was human for one game, but he's still way out in front of everybody for uh, first overall in fantasy right now. Folks, thanks so much for tuning in. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I don't know if I said the wrong name earlier, but I'll get it right this time around. I'm Dan Baspris. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Baspris. One other thing. On the sports ethos front, and I think I mentioned this on Friday, if you'd like to be a part of what we're doing now, uh, please holler my way at Dan Bespris on Twitter or email support at sportsethos.com. The reason I bring this up is because one of the biggest reasons that HoopBall has rebranded is because we're not just basketball anymore. So if one of you guys is listening to this podcast and you're like, Dan, You've made me so much better at basketball, but my best skill is fantasy football or fantasy baseball, whatever it might be. Send me a note. Send me a note. We are looking to expand that direction, and we are looking to recruit that direction. And if you're someone that wants to make this a life even better, because we need folks to helm those new divisions. Again, that's at Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S. B-R-I-S. Our coupon codes, our promo codes have not yet changed with our advertisers at manscaped.com or mybookie.ag. And I'm going to tell you about mybookie in just a little bit because they got something insane going on later this week. uh, Manscaped does as well, so I don't want to leave them out of the fun. Uh, But mybookie.ag has so many things happening this week, and I want you guys to take home free money with me. Let's go back to Saturday, see if we can move along at a little bit of a better clip here. Houston lost in New York. We talked Knicks already. Jay Sean Tate was better, and he's actually been inside the top 80 the last couple weeks. So maybe he's beginning to turn a corner. I still think he and Christian Wood are the guys that have the path. Alperin Shengun, slightly better in this ballgame. Uh, I mean, we knew this steals rate was going to come down. Problem with the, the Rockets is that no one has been consistently above the cut line. And being a little bit better for one or two games isn't going to change the way I feel about most of these guys. Wood is someone you can't drop. If you can throw up a few good games in a row, you try to trade him. Tate, I think, is probably someone that falls more into the streamer loading zone right now. But if he gets better, then that's someone that might stick. And then Shengun, someone I think we all agree, analysts that will be pretty good in February, but it's November. Pelicans lost at Indiana. Uh, JV continues to play really good basketball. Um, He's number 14 in nine cats, still hanging around there. Josh Hart was not very good here, but he'll be fine. I mean, this was a blowout. You kind of throw this one out. Miles Turner, Devonis Sabonis, Malcolm Brogdon were all fine. TJ McConnell, four defensive stats and five assists. Only 19 minutes, but everybody's minutes were weird in this game. Karis LeVert's the one that's pissing everybody off. And uh, yeah, I mean, this was like, You don't draft a guy who has a back issue coming into the season. Really wish that I would have, someone would have said something about Michael Porter Jr. because we could have put him in that same dang department. But, I mean, Karis LeVert's stress reaction in his back, that was not a guy that ever should have been drafted. And if you're thinking, should I drop him? You probably can't. I mean, you could, I guess. But you know he can get pretty good if he magically gets better. Anyway, Washington beat Miami. Uh, Duncan Robinson hurt his knee partway through this ball game. Don't know what it would have changed. Bam Adebayo is dealing with a cold, although it sounds like he's been upgraded uh, from out to probable. I don't know. I heard he didn't practice. That was the last thing I heard, but I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Bam's been 
annoying so far, mostly because of injuries. He was in foul trouble in this ball game, so that held him down a little bit. And Washington's defense is holding people down a little bit right now. So uh, no massive changes to the uh, Miami outlook here. I just mostly want Bam to stop with all this other stuff going on. For the Wizards, Gafford had a bad one. That's fine. It'll happen. Um, I still want him on my fantasy teams. Beal started out strong in this game, cooled off a bit. Dinwiddie has fallen back to uh, more so where we kind of knew he would end up. He was he was always way too high as a guy who doesn't get defensive stats. And frankly, we kind of need him to do more because if the free throw number comes down from 94, which it will, he might fall outside the top 100. So please, Spencer, take a few more shots. Wizards are playing too damn slowly, though. Boston's getting uh, Jalen Brown back for their next ball game, so you can mix and match some pieces a little bit here. Uh, Dennis Schroeder figures to take a hit if he goes to the bench, which uh, we'll see. They might go big and move Grant Williams to the bench. We don't know yet. But Al Horford continues to be solid. Jason Tatum has really gotten things going here last couple of ball games. He's rocketed from 80s to 30s in 9-cat. I still believe Marcus Smart is... Uh, dramatically undervalued, even though he's now pushed his way inside the top 80 in 9-cat, largely because of steals, some assists at this point. Uh, He's a bad shooter, and he's not a good foul shooter, but he's generally better than that. So he could even go bigger. We'll see. Jalen Brown coming back might take a shot or two away, but it's not like Marcus was taking shots anyway. Schroeder and Tatum took 22 apiece in this game. For OKC, continue to keep an eye on Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Same thing I said on Friday's show. He's he's close. He's not quite there. Fantasy game could use a little work. But that's kind of the story for all of these guys. Just a massive crop of slightly overrated fantasy players. Lou Dort has cooled off, not surprisingly. Uh, his insane shooting run was never going to last forever. Although, points leagues, he very much does need to be started. Nine cat, uh, iffy. Giddy, iffy in 9-cat. Shea is a start in 9-cat, but even he's been really not that great this year. He's number 88. Very thankful we dodged him. Atlanta continues to beat people at home. They're really good at home. Gallo was good in this one. Played 31 minutes with Clint Capella and John Collins each dealing with some foul stuff. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich also going down with a quad injury. That might be the thing that actually frees up Kevin Herter. Remember I was saying he was still one injury away. If Bogdan has to miss any time, then Herter becomes a really interesting stream where he was to me outside. I mean, he was streamable in the sense of like, do I want a back-to-back in my head-to-head league? Now I feel like he's streamable in Roto. Again, if Bogdan misses any additional time, I am not willing to buy into the Gallo thing. Three steals and a block, not at all sustainable. And that's between that and the free throws, which we know are always good, but eight, not sustainable. This doesn't feel like something that's going to repeat itself all that often. Good to see Clint Capella get rolling here. If he wasn't dealing with foul stuff, this could have been a mighty game for him. Uh, Clint just right now hovering at the edge of the top 70, and that's almost exclusively because his blocks are down. So he'll keep working his way up. Everything's going to be fine there. And I continue to think he's a buy low, which we said last week, and he's moved up 20 slots since then. He's still a buy low. LaMelo, crazy. Triple-double. Efficiency took a hit, but the other stuff is floating him. And he continues to not miss free throws. I did not see that coming. So we were too low on LaMelo. He's a second-rounder playing like a first-rounder right now, and it's not going anywhere. Miles Bridges, 35-10-3. Nice to see him get back on the good side of things. This is probably a sell opportunity after he had faded for about a week and a half. If you'd like to see if he can do it one more time, be my guest, but I don't see him taking 28 shots again in the next ballgame. Cody Martin played 31 minutes again. Uh, as they went small... And I, I guess that meant that, what, Jalen McDaniels was playing some center? Was Miles Bridges a small ball center for the team for a little bit there? We'll keep an eye on it. I don't think I'm making any massive plunges here with Charlotte, but we'll, we'll watch it. Orlando, without Cole Anthony, was getting smoked in this game. The reserves from Milwaukee kind of gave up some of the lead late. Giannis took 23 free throws 
in this ball game. Holy mackerel. That didn't go great for him. That's not good. The other stuff was 32, 20, and 5, though. Grayson Allen, nice to see him get going again. He got 14 shots up. That's a big deal. His shots had been diminishing with Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday back in the mix. The Bucks were kind of a fade team off the finals hangover. I, I thought you'd probably be better than this from Drew and Chris, but it's going to take them time. They probably won't hit their marks because of the Olympics, because of the finals. A lot of these guys are just kind of beat up. So I think you keep rolling Grayson Allen out there until Dante DiVincenzo comes back, and definitely Bobby Portis. On the Orlando side, it was a blowout, so I wouldn't read too much into the big R.J. Hampton game, but it does sound like Cole Anthony is going to miss another one. So Jalen Suggs in a points league makes a lot of sense. Might consider streaming him in 9-cat, and if he's just going to go out there and take 15 to 20 shots, there might be enough rebounding, assisting, stealing, threesing, to get it there. It's dicey, though. He could very easily do what he did in this game and shoot 27% on high volume. That hurts more than it helps. And then with Hampton, his efficiency was actually very good. I'm not going to roll the dice on the Cole Anthony fill-in stuff. You might get it right. You might get it wrong. Nah. Uh, Minnesota beat the nuts off of Memphis in this ballgame. I don't think you want to read too much into the Memphis side. Uh, no Dylan Brooks, no DeAnthony Melton, so no additional information there. On the Minnesota side, Jared Vanderbilt had a pretty good ball game in 25 minutes. He's been better the last couple. We know how this thing goes. It bounces in, it bounces out. Jaden McDaniels takes some of those minutes back. While he's warm, you can probably stream him. I don't think I'd have the wherewithal to play him in a roto games cap format but head to head if you need a center you could throw him in there for a back-to-back and then patrick beverly i kind of feel likewise with him although we do know that if pat can stay healthy he can be inside the top 100 in nine cat he's done it before and right now he's right on the cusp gets you those rebounds threes steals and blocks from point guard spot which is kind of cool but also this is a really easy game for them so a couple of, like, right on the cusp guys with Minnesota right now, which I know Dan stopped toeing the line. But that's where we're at. Utah beat Sacramento. Someone barfed on the court at the Golden 1 Center, and Luke Walton got fired. It was quite a night, Saturday evening, for the Kings uh, with a 12-minute mop delay. It was gross, but it was also hilarious. And then the most overdue coaching change that I can remember really in like the last decade finally happened in Sacramento. Luke Walton, who, you know, other coaches I'm sure are going to say nice things about him, but he did an awful job with the Lakers. He did an awful job with the Kings. Sorry. You can say the Kings made personnel decisions that were idiotic, you know, like not taking Luka, but Luke has decent pieces on this team and had them here for, what are we now? And did, was this the third year? I've lost track. Halliburton's good. Barnes has been really good for them. Heald is solid. Darren Fox was great, and he's disappeared. Rashawn Holmes is excellent. This is not a team that should be playing the way they have, which is bad defensively, collapsing in the second half offensively, doing undisciplined stuff regularly, and just not showing any signs of improvement. And this has been going on. And they, Anyway, they gave him all the time in the universe. I'm actually sort of surprised that it finally happened. And to me, the Kings are a team you might want to bet on with Alvin Gentry. He's going to open things up. I don't know how fast it's going to be, but there's going to be a lot of energy in the building after a coaching change. There always is. Fantasy-wise, I think we're in wait-and-see mode. Um, the talk on Kings... Twitter is that maybe Davian Mitchell sees a slight bump in, in playing time, but I don't think he's going to get to do enough for it to really make a, uh, a particularly large difference. Philly, uh, Matisse Thibault came back, played 21 minutes, only two defensive stats, which tells you he was probably getting his wind back. But he, by the way, Tobias Harris is doubtful with a hip injury. So if Thibault is floating around on your waiver wire, that's actually, to me, a very interesting thing to look at. Someone might have gotten annoyed with him or annoyed with hanging on without knowing exactly when he was coming back. He's uh, 40, 47% rostered in Yahoo leagues. He's, he's rostered in every single one of my leagues, but maybe he's available in one of yours. 
Uh, keep an eye on things out there. Uh, Tobias, if he does miss time, you'll just see even more Tyrese Maxey. George Niang started that last ball game even with Tobias around, so maybe he's a guy you look at. I don't, I don't really like the musical chairs, the revolving door, whatever it is. I'd rather try to grab someone a bit safer because everything there feels very short-term. And then Dame actually looked really good in Portland's game. But probably, arguably the first one all season, he's really looked good. Got 14 free throws, made them all. 39 points, didn't get a single rebound, but seven assists, five threes, three blocks. What? Rocco looked good. He played 29 minutes. Larry Nance played pretty well in 23 minutes. I, I mean, I know that this was against the Zombie Sixers. And by the way, I think you all, everyone sort of needs to downgrade the expectations on Nurkic for this year. I know this was against the, the Zombie Sixers, but a lot of good stuff happened for Portland in this game. And to that end, I think all of those guys, basically the six guys who had decent fantasy games, probably all belong on rosters right now. Dame, Nurk, Rocco, CJ, Nance, Powell. I'm good with all those guys being on a team because every one of them has the ability to do something at least somewhat special on a night-to-night basis. And we'll flip back to, uh, to Friday here real quick just to make sure there weren't any teams that got lost in the shuffle and the quick eyeball test says no. I think we actually covered them all. Were there 10 games on Saturday? No. How's that possible? There must be a team that didn't play Friday or Saturday or Sunday. What am I missing here? Warriors, Pistons, Pacers, Hornets, Lakers, Celtics. What, what have I forgot? Oh, the Nets. Brooklyn. There, is he. there you go. Um, James Harden, first rounder now. Other than that, as long as Joe Harris is out, Patty Mills has been a really nice streamer. It's a short-term thing, but it's a much more obvious short-term thing. I don't know. I, I get it. Like, your thought is, Dan, why are you so impatient with 76ers streamers and not with a guy like Patty Mills? Just because it's much more of a one-to-one thing. It's a much easier situation to monitor. The Sixers have two to three guys out in kind of a rotating cast right now. Someone comes back. What's the trickle down? It's not a it's not a direct totem where one guy just bumps down. It, it you know it has to do with guys at different positions. Tobias power forward if he misses time. Thibel was playing small forward when he was out. Embiid center. So it's a little goofy. And with Philly, maybe the the tack is you play who they are willing to start. Drummond's been startable. Thibel, if he starts, you'd start him. If Niang starts, Seth Curry, Maxi, and just say, you know what? Screw the guys coming off the bench. I don't know how many minutes they're going to get, but it's probably going to be less than the starters. So we'll go with the guys that are out there when the when the ball goes up. Easy peasy, or not that easy peasy. Big thank you to everybody that continues to listen to this podcast. This was your reverse chronological lightning round Monday. Um, not that any of you care, but a quick update on 30 Deep, the industry 30-team league. I'm in first. 62-26-2 so far, ahead of fellow hoop baller Mike Passador in second place by uh, three games right now. And that feels great, because I also have Clay stashed in IR in 30 Deep. I think I have a pretty good team there. It's my shot, man. It's my shot. Just give me one shot. Oh, man, I got to tell you guys about my bookie before we wrap, we wrap up the show. And please don't tune me out here because this, yes, this is a promo. And if you sign up and use promo code HoopBall, it looks really good for us on that third page of sign up. But also, they have uh, 13 odds boosts coming up this week and up to a $250 free play on the Thanksgiving Day uh, Cowboys game. I think it's a Cowboys game, isn't it? Are they playing the Raiders? I don't know. I don't know football. All I know is that you can flip a coin and pick a spread, pick a side, ATS in that game, and bet up to as many as $250. And if it misses, you get your $250 back as 1x rollover. I mean, you just have to gamble that $250 in any pacing you like from now until the end of time. You could do it in $25, $10 bets. You could do it on just odds boost bets. I I mean, you... 13 odds boosts over the weekend, you'll probably get most of the way to 250 bucks just on those. Some of them are locks. I think they're capping those at $10 a piece, but then other ones, the odds swing way in your favor at 25 bucks. Like, you're basically getting there. 
I think it's like $230 in odds boost bets after the $250 free play. So if you if things break our way, we could win almost 500 actual dollars, not promo bucks through mybookie.ag. If you're at all confused on how it works, please ask me at Dan Bespris on Twitter. I would love to guide you through this. They do this once a year on Thanksgiving. The other odds boosts are usually just like here and there for 10, 25 bucks, whatever. Those are awesome. They also add up to two or $300 over the course of the year. This is like one or two a month. Uh, but guess what? This is all happening in basically a two-day window. I think there's actually a $25 Tom Brady-related odds boost happening tonight on Monday Night Football, too. So, like, we really could win $500 this week. And if you can't use $500, well, congrats, man. You should be sponsoring this podcast because we could use $500. <laughs> I could. So let's all take a whole crap ton of money from mybookie.ag together. Again, if you sign up, please make sure to use our old promo code HOOPBALL. They have not changed that over yet. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. On the third page of sign up, drop in a couple of bucks. Make sure you do the, the, the free roll on Turkey Day. And if it loses, whatever, screw it. You get your money back. And you play odds boost all weekend and then play odds boost from now until the end of time. And if it wins, you just win 250 bucks. Well, 225-ish. Still, I mean, this... Ooh, it's going to be a big week for taking free money home. A big week. Join us, won't you? I'm Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today. This is a sports ethos presentation. Bug me on Twitter, please. I beg of you. Recruiting, whatever, you name it. My bookie, manscaped.com. That's still HoopBall20, by the way, on that promo code as well. Have a lovely Monday, everybody. We've gone longer than I intended, but you know what? It was fantasy to be had. We'll talk to you tomorrow, everyone. So long. So long.